folks welcome back to another episode of triple g we're recording on monday night i got some a big golf match tomorrow afternoon so uh we're getting this episode out a little bit early this week and the timing works out great because tomorrow in the nfl is roster cut day we're bringing the rosters down to the 53 man availability 66 or 69 man with the practice squad i think they're allowed 16 on the practice squad again this year due to the covid restrictions so some big time cuts some big time trades but let's get into it tonight we're going to be covering the afc west and the nfc west we're going out to the wild wild west on both sides we got cody cody rourke locked on the Broncos podcast that's going to join us shortly here talking the Denver Broncos and Broncos Nation out there in Denver, Colorado. So a great chat we're going to have there. After break, we'll flip it over to the golf side covering the FedEx Cup and a fantastic tournament at the BMW. I found you a winner, folks. Hope you listened. Uh, But let's get into our new segment, What Have You Learned? And we're going to talk about the last week of preseason football. We are T-minus 10 days to week one and the start of the 2021 NFL season. I couldn't be more jacked. I'm so excited for this year. I'm going to be able to catch a lot more of the Sunday football and not playing catch up with my PVR. So real pumped for that, no doubt. I learned this week um, and was reminded of two things. Number one, the big men do matter. And I know you guys, I'm beating the drum. I'm the number one drum beater for the big men, the interior linemen. All of my uh, close friends out there know that for years I've been talking about the importance. And this is a simple game, folks. I know it's sexy and everybody lives with fantasy football. And yes, not to worry calm everybody can calm down we will be doing a fantasy football breakdown next week we will be looking at uh, the spreads as well we've had some requests from a lot of our listeners to uh, break down some of the spreads so we'll be trying to get to as many games as possible with that but in a nutshell this game is won and lost in the trenches and we saw that again in week three in NFL football, but we also saw that over the last 48 hours here as we move closer to that cut day and closer to week one. Look at the trades. Billy Price uh, gets traded to the New York Giants. Old boy and I talked about it last week, how that Giants team, Dave Gettleman, still trying to find um, his five best offensive linemen to trot out here in week one. They're in absolute shambles there in New York as they move closer to the opener and uh, trade to the Bengals for B.J. Hill. Shaq Lawson. Gets traded from Houston back to New York. New York loses Carl Lawson. They pick up Shaq Lawson. Bam Johnson. uh, Buffalo trades from a position of strength to Carolina for a six-round pick. Uh, The Miami Dolphins. We talked about them last week in that front seven, and I had some serious questions. Where's the pass rusher? What's going to be happening? Well, Matt Skira out the door, cut early. Bernardrick McKinney, I mentioned last week, cut early. So that that front seven of uh, Miami needs to find some pieces fast here i still have some serious questions moving into the opener here so and number two um looking at those trades roster building matters folks it it matters in how you build your roster how you handle your salary cap some of these draft picks that are made on day two and day three are important and i'm going to cover of a couple of them here today in the asc west uh, that we talked about back in may and june um, and when everybody rolled their eyes about the sixth round draft pick and and Ginger, um, you know, why are you covering that? Well, I'm going to point out a couple six round picks that are starters uh, come week one for some championship quality football teams. So it matters. And, and you're going to see that. And, and the trade deadline is November 2nd. And don't you think for one minute that uh, if Trey Lance is ready in San Francisco, because we're going to be talking about them uh, shortly here. And Jimmy Garoppolo, and there's a team that's looking for a quarterback. There's 
reason why these rumors continue to fly about Tua Tungavailoa and Deshaun Watson. These are positions of strength, and these rosters are built in a certain way to be able to um, make these moves. And you, and we wonder why general managers on draft day and in free agency don't always go by what is needed for the roster. They try to get them. They try to maximize their talent at positions. And how can I get the most talent in here at a certain position? Because eventually, you you work and deal from a position of strength, and you're able to make a move. And when you can catch somebody um, that's desperate, you're able to get more value out of that um, in that way. So I was reminded of those two things in in uh, you know not only week three of pre- NFL preseason football, but the the days. Um, that preceded it as well and the days that will continue to precede uh, the recording of this podcast so super excited uh, to have football right on the horizon let's get into it we're not going to waste any more time let's hop over to our chat with Cody Rourke Locked on Bengals podcast all right listeners let's give a big triple g welcome to Broncos analyst, director of video for Pro Football Network, Network and host of the Locked on Bengals uh, Broncos podcast. My apologies, Cody Roar. Cody, you on the line with us? Yes, I am. How's it going? Not too bad. And yourself? Good, good. You know, obviously, football season, uh, you know, keeps me busy in season. Uh, but, you know, still, I mean, it's busy all year. So I, there's technically not really a day off when it comes to the football game, man. So uh, thanks for having me. No, no problem. I appreciate the time, and I know you're you're ramping up, so we'll get right into it, and we'll we'll start where everybody wants to start, and that is at the quarterback position. Cody, give our listeners a feel for why did the, why did the Broncos choose uh, Bridgewater over Locke? Was it the negative plays from Locke, uh, or was it the efficiency of Bridgewater? Give our listeners a feel for that. You know, it might have been a combination of both, but not necessarily in a sense of what happened in the preseason. I mean, both quarterbacks have, have looked really good in the preseason, you know, up to date. And I think that the Broncos looking at where they were at last year, when you look at the schedule, they lost six total games by seven points or less. And when you go back to the games that they lost, obviously one or two turnovers equated into points for the other team or they missed out on the Broncos being able to capitalize on points in that game. You know, so there was a, a real legitimate chance that the Broncos actually could have made it to the playoffs last year if uh, they win half of those games that they lost by seven or less points. But I think it all boils down to Teddy Bridgewater, you know, with the weapons and the talent that the Broncos have around him, they feel like he might be the more efficient option right now for them than Drew Locke. Now, I'd say this for Drew Locke. Drew, I think, gives them the best chance to be probably the most explosive in terms of the downfield passing attack. Teddy can take shots downfield. I don't know how often we'll see that in terms of the Broncos' playbook, but with guys like K.J. Handler, Cortland Sutton, you have to take shots downfield. You have to capitalize on their talent uh, you know, against defenses. So uh, it, it's one of those decisions that the Broncos decided to go with the, the option that they believed gives them the chance to be more efficient with the football and reducing turnovers and maybe putting them in a better position to win games. Yeah, and you, you mentioned a little bit of the, you know, the playbook and, and the, the game plan kind of moving forward for the Broncos here for the foreseeable future. That's a veteran offensive coaching staff, not only on the defensive side of the ball, but on the offensive side of the ball. You know, you got Curtis Modkins, been in this league for 14 years. You got Mike, Mike Munchak, 25-plus uh, years experience. And you got Pat Shermer, 25-plus years experience. Um, what are we going to see offensively um, different maybe from last year or here in 2021? Are we going to see a heavy dose of, of uh, Mel- Melvin Gordon and the rookie running back out of UNC, Javante Williams? Or are we going to see kind of what Shermer tried to do in New York and Minnesota and some of his other stops over the years where it's a short, quick, efficient passing game, keep those chains moving? Well, you know, I hope it's uh, an emphasis on the run game because, look, I think the Broncos on the offensive line, they have the size. I think they have the consistency right now. And I also think that they have the horses to it running back to be able to run the ball efficiently. That was an issue for them last year. The Broncos could not run the ball very effectively in 2020, and it made it very easy for opposing defenses to game plan against them. They could shut down the run and force the Broncos to pass. I think this is a year where they have to have a concerted effort on getting the running game going, and then the passing game is going to sit up behind that. So I think that there needs to be a primary emphasis on running the ball and then opening up the passing game from there. Yeah, and that makes that makes t- total sense, and I think that's kind of what Pat Shermer um, likes to do as well. And with a 
you know, a veteran offensive line coach and Mike Munchak, he's going to have those guys ready, especially with some depth on the interior offensive line um, acquired via the draft. You mentioned the downfield passing attack a couple times. What's the next step for Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler? Is it just the return of Cortland Sutton and being back and, and they slot in in their more kind of traditional slots or where the league thinks they should be in that two and three spot? As last year, they were thrust upon, you know, the number one wide receiver role with Sutton being out. Or is it just the year two step that most wide receivers uh, make in this league? Well, I think it's going to be very balanced this year for, I think, all those guys. The Broncos have a lot of depth right now at the wide receiver position, and they're not necessarily going based off of spots in terms of wide receiver one, two, three, or four. I mean, all those guys, all the way to about the sixth receiver, will play a role in the rotation and will have to meet those same requirements that if they were going with a wide receiver one, two, or three approach. You know, I think for Jerry Judy, this is the year, I think, just more more focused. His issue last year on the field was that he struggled with drops, and they weren't necessarily like, evident drops to the point where you were worried about his hands. These are more concentration drops where you could tell based on the film, he was looking to make a play to get upfield before he had control of the football. So really just looking the football in, he's been working on that all off season. It was evident in training camp and in the preseason, no worries there. I think he's going to be in, in line for a very big year entering his second year. Look, I think for KJ Hamler, it's got to be staying healthy. He's a fast guy and oftentimes fast guys deal with those soft tissue muscle injuries. The hamstring has been his biggest uh, indicator so far. Now, so far in the preseason, he has stayed healthy. He's looked good when it, when he's healthy. I mean, obviously the 80-yard touchdown catch against the Vikings, but he's been tearing it up all preseason long and in joint training camp practices with the Minnesota Vikings. His speed is just a weapon. It's another dynamic, and, and the Broncos have to utilize that, and the best way to do that is for KJ to stay healthy. Yeah, I think, you know, we've been saying up here and north of the border up here in Canada that it's an embarrassment of riches down there for, for Denver, and we're, we're going to be looking for them and those receivers and, and those weapons to make that next step as well. Um, over to the defensive side of the ball now, Cody. Is there is there a, a weak link on this defensive side? You know, I look at the 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 eleven starters and and the defensive players from top to bottom, and the only kind of weak link I can possibly point out would be that interior linebacker spot with Alex Johnson and Josie Jewell. Um, other than that, you know, the secondary is deep from top to bottom. Obviously, we know about this deadly pass rush and the one-two combo with Chubb and Miller. Um, do you think there's a possibility as well that they go out and get a veteran? free agent linebacker, a KJ Wright, an Avery Williamson, a T, uh, Tahir Whitehead, somebody that can help in coverage a little bit um, to help these guys along? Uh, you know, I'm not too sure that's going to be in their cards necessarily. I think if something happens in season where there's an injury, they may do that if those guys are still available. You know, for KJ Wright, he's coming off of, a, you know, an injury-riddled season with the Seattle Seahawks, and the Broncos aren't necessarily going to go out there and get a guy who's injury-prone. However, I can tell you in terms of the coverage dynamic, the Broncos are really excited about what they have in Justin Sternod and Baron Browning, the third-round pick out of Ohio State in the 2021 NFL Draft. They think that he can do a lot of things for them, and those guys, whether it be in the Knicks, package whether it be in dime packages their versatility levels they could play multiple positions if the Broncos asked them and wanted them to um, I think that they offer a little bit more in terms of upside and developmental traits you know for Josie Jewell Alexander Johnson Jewell is very well regarded inside the Broncos locker room by the coaching staff by the front office and even though they brought in guys like Sternod and Baron Browning there's been talk amongst the organization there's been talks amongst the fan base that if the Broncos were to ever offset any linebacker it more than likely wouldn't be Josie Jewell. It would more than likely be Alexander Johnson. And he's really just yeah. on a one-year deal here. So if anything, I mean, he could be potentially a surprise cut. I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, or he could be offset at the end of the year. They might not just pick up his option. He is 28, 29 years of age, a little bit up there in age, and everybody else is younger than him. So uh, to me, I think when you look at inside backer, Alexander Johnson, I like him a lot too. I think he's a very talented player, very instinctual and gives you a dynamic in terms of physicality and elusiveness that not many linebackers, I think, that the Broncos had in the last couple of years can. He's been very, I think, average or above average in the pass coverage department in terms of backs out of the backfield. But the Broncos, they like a lot out of him. He just has to play a little bit more discipline. He's got to do what the coaches you know, assign him to do on a play. Sometimes he's been known to roam a little bit and do his own thing defensively, and that's been an issue that Vic Fangio has called into question uh, this offseason when we talked with him. So, I think that there's things that, uh, you know, look at this defense. 
Hard to really say right now where a weak link is. I think that they're pretty stout all across the board, and many NFL executives believe that the Broncos could have the best defense in the NFL this season. Yeah, there's no arguing that. That's for sure. And, and the additions in the secondary to sure things up back there uh, sure help um, that pass rush combo in Chubb and, and Miller. You mentioned a couple surprise cuts, uh, and you mentioned Alex Johnson. I'm going to kind of combine this into a two-part question. Do you think there's any other surprise cuts that could come? And with twenty million, $28 million in cap space and a deep, deep secondary, do you feel general manager George Patton may make a move to help another position on this roster by trading maybe um, one of those corners to free up some room for Patrick Sertan? Um, is there a possibility there that we could see a move in the next 24, uh, 24 to 48 hours here? Uh, I don't think so. You know, George Payton had said on the broadcast that, you know, the teams continue to call him about the cornerback depth, but the Broncos right now, they don't necessarily want to part ways with it because they've really invested a lot in building the secondary up because you play in the AFC West, you play against teams like Kansas City where they have multiple wide receivers that they use, Travis Kelsey, the Las Vegas Raiders, the Los Angeles Chargers, all these teams go with a heavy wide receiver sets, and you need to have the personnel. The Denver didn't have that last year due to injuries. And Michael Ojemudi did suffer an injury against the Seattle Seahawks, a hamstring injury. He's going to be out four to five total weeks in length. So their cornerback five right there, he's out. So the Broncos at this point, considering where things are at, I don't think that they're going to make any move whatsoever. There's no need to at this point. And in terms of cap space, the Broncos sit with the second most cap space right now available in the NFL. I yep. think it gives them a lot of flexibility. And George Payton's not the type of guy that because he has money, he's going to go spend it. I think that the Broncos have to look at a couple options. They've got to make sure that they take care of Bradley Chubb and Cortland Sutton when it comes to extensions. Those guys are due for it. And then when you look at maybe the potential free agency run in 2022, there might be a certain quarterback available. They might have to go and pursue. And so they're trying to save up and stockpile here to have the assets to make some moves possible if, in fact, certain things do come into play for them. Cody, a couple more questions here before we let you go. You mentioned a couple of those big name tight ends in, in Kelsey and, and Waller um, for Vegas. And, and obviously, you know, probably pretty happy to see a, a Hunter Henry leave the division and, and flip over to the AFC East in, in New England. But who's going to be that that X factor on defense to help cover some of those guys? I know you're never going to stop Waller and, and Kelsey. They're just too good at their position. But, you know, who's got the ability on that defense to, to slow them down? Or do you think it's a group effort? Well, I think it's a combination of both, right? I think with the, for the Broncos going out there and drafting Patrick Sertan ninth overall, they had it in their mind, knowing he can play multitude of positions. It doesn't matter if he's uh, lined up on the outside or inside the nickel or playing the dime or even playing sort of as kind of that middle of the field if they need him to. They want to match him up, you know, alongside a guy, against guys like Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, who have, you know, size and speed advantages. But I think a lot of how those guys are schemed to be involved in the offense. I mean, it's hard to take that away when you factor in other guys. So that's why the Broncos have Bryce Callahan, Kyle Fuller. When you play the Chiefs, can you focus an effort on maybe bracket covering Tyreek Hill? And then can you also bracket cover a guy like Travis Kelsey and force maybe another wide receiver that you know, right now they're kind of unproven. They're really looking for that wide receiver too in Kansas City right now. Can you find another guy? Can you force him to beat you elsewhere? I think that for the Broncos is trying to find balance there. So I think that there's a combination in terms of group effort. That's why the Broncos like Justin Sternod and Baron Browning in certain packages in the nickel and the dime, uh, different coverage packages depending on down and distance, formation, wherever the ball's located on what hash. And I think for the Broncos, just trying to figure out what is the best dynamic against the pass when you know it's an absolute passing situation, you need the your range of coverage guys and guys who are smart and instinctual. That's where Denver, I think, has the advantage right now. But uh, like you mentioned, it's hard to really take away guys like Darren Waller and, and Travis Kelsey because the way that they're schemed to get open is so efficient by those offenses. You can only hope to reduce the amount of impact they have. Yeah, makes sense for sure. It's such a such a good division uh, at that tight end spot, that X-Factor spot. Flipping over to the schedule now here. Um, interesting schedule. How do you see shaping up? You know, a, a pretty light start. I know two games on the road and, and your week three before you get the, the home opener. But um, what are your thoughts on the schedule and how do you see it unfolding? Well, you know, it's really hard to say because, you know, for me, I, as a former player and coach, I always operate on a week-to-week -week basis. But if you look at the Broncos' schedule to start, I mean, it seems very favorable for them. I mean, the last couple of years, they've always had kind of a little bit of a rough start to the season that's equated in Vic Fangio's record. I believe he's 0-7 in the month of September in two years. The Broncos 
They want to get off to a hot start. And George Payton said that they need to get off to a hot start. So you factor in that week one road matchup against the New York Giants. I think it's favorable for Denver in terms of what they have defensively. And I think that the Giants are kind of in a turnstile right now with some of the injuries that they're dealing with, uh, some of the procedural stuff that they're dealing with behind the scenes as it pertains to Joe Judge. And then you factor in the Jacksonville Jaguars, one of the youngest teams. They're in a complete rebuild. Denver's got to take advantage of that with their experience and the guys that they have. And then you have Zach Wilson, the New York Jets. The Jets right now, unfortunately, they're dealing with injuries left and right on the offensive line. They lost a couple of defensive guys. They just traded yep. for Shaq Lawson. You know, so that's a little bit of an added boost for them. But I think the issue at hand is when you look at it is – when you get too far ahead, if the, if you're the Broncos, if you're looking at okay, well, hey, we're going to start off the season three and zero, you know, you're kind of overlooking those opponents, and then so you take some shortcuts in your preparation. Vic Fangio doesn't want the guys to do that, so a lot of it is just focusing on the you know week to week. But Denver, on paper, they do have the ability to maybe get off to a little bit of a hot start. That week four matchup against the Ravens will be tough, and then you got to go on the road to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers week five. That's also a tough matchup. Then you have a home matchup against the you know Las Vegas Raiders week six. Uh, the schedule for Denver is is it opens up favorable, but it also has some tough stretches in there where we're going to see how battle tested this team is. Yeah, and it's it's a schedule that I've never seen before. Looking at it in some of my my prep before chatting with you here is you know you get the AFC North week four five seven, and then you flip over and then you go to the NFC East and you get them eight eight nine ten with Washington Cowboys and Eagles, and then you finish up five or seven. Uh, within the division after that bye week uh, there in week 11. So definitely an interesting schedule, no doubt. And I totally agree with you. I think uh, they can open up um, hot and hopefully um, get to that bye week, get healthy, and then have the ability to play within the division when it uh, when it matters most. Yeah, no, I think that's the most important thing for where the Broncos are at. They just got to take it one game at a time. This is a big season for Vic Fangio, huge season for Pat Shermer. I, mean, I think the pressure is on for these two coaches here, and, and Vic's a great coach. He's a great defensive-minded head coach. You want to be able to keep that together. If the defense is playing really well this season, but the offense struggles, I think Vic will be back in 2022 if that's the case, and I think that they'll clean house with Pat Shermer on the offensive coordinator side of things, but uh, a lot of opportunities right here, I think, for the Broncos this season. They just have to take advantage of it. Awesome. Cody, that's a great breakdown. We appreciate your time. Let our listeners know uh, where we can find you and what you're going to be up to here in 2021 in the NFL season. Yeah, absolutely. Cover the Denver Broncos every single day for the Locked On NFL Network and Nine News in Denver. You can follow that feed at Locked On Broncos. We're also on YouTube every single day. Uh, not to mention just the day-to-day -day stuff covering all 32 teams and, and creating some video content for Pro Football Network uh, with the amazing team that we have over there. Uh, if you're a football fan, we are the primary voice for pro football, so be sure to go check all the action out, profootballnetwork.com. Amazing. Appreciate your time, Cody. We'll catch up uh, over the NFL season, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. What a great way to open up our AFC West divisional breakdown, talking with Cody, um, th working 365 days a year, putting out some great video and audio quality uh, content, not only with Locked On Broncos podcast, but uh, with Pro Football Network on the video side as well. So, uh, Cody definitely knows this stuff, and that came across in our little chat there. So let's continue on this AFC West uh, role here. And we're going to start off after those Denver Broncos with the Las Vegas Raiders. And uh, we talked briefly about some of their weapons, i.e. Darren Waller. But this team is deep at, at, uh, at the weapons position. You look at Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, John Brown coming over from the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Zay Jones coming over two years ago from the Bills. Hunter Renfro open 24-7. Go get the slushy, folks, because he's going to be open all day long and you can sit on the beach and watch it. Um, at the running back position, you got Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake. you got Willie Sneed still there as a fifth-six option if he's not one of those uh, cuts. So they've not only invested in the offensive line over the years and, and the likes of you know spending big cash on that offensive line you know i.e. bringing Trent Brown and Rodney Hudson and Richie Incognito and I know Incognito still there but they go ahead and and spend some draft capital getting Alex Leatherwood with the 17th overall pick here in 2021 uh, Andrew Jones is um, another option in in round three in 2018 um, so they've invested 
they've they've cut that cap off on the offensive line side, invested more younger and some draft capital in the offensive line, and surrounded Derek Carr with the weapons. And this ultimately comes down to how much of a step can Derek Carr take here? Can he is he the franchise quarterback? Can he lead this team up against the likes of Patty Mahomes and Justin Herbert and Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke or whoever ends up playing more games in Denver there? That's that's what it comes down to because to me, they've done a great job surrounding Carr um, with the offensive line and the weapons beside him. And then defensively, you know, you've got Yannick Ngakwe, Corey Littlejohn coming over. I love the draft pick in the second uh, round with 43rd overall. It looks like he's going to be the starter. He's number one on the def- depth chart in uh, Trayvon Morrig at a TCU. So defensively up front with Max Crosby, I think they've got some, they've got a little bite there and they've got enough to, to stop the run. But I think the back end's got to be able to make up some plays and got to be able to limit the big plays that they were giving up. They were very susceptible last year to the big play and it really cost them um, a few football games. So schedule-wise, I think you've got to, you know, you open up with the uh, the AFC North with uh, the Ravens and the Steelers in Week 1 and Week 2, but you've got a little week stretch from 5 through 9 where you've got the Bears, the Broncos, the Eagles, the Giants, and then you return home for the big matchup in Week 10 against the Kansas City Chiefs. That'll be the litmus test for these Las Vegas Raiders. Don't be surprised if you see them early, 6-3, uh, 5-4, right in the hunt, right in the midst of it. Um, but I think that first litmus test for the Raiders will come in Week 10 against those Chiefs. Let's move on to the Los Angeles Chargers and their roster and how it shapes up. Uh, I've gone on air here in the last couple of weeks and said that I believe that Rayshon Slater is uh, possibly the best or going to be the best uh, draft pick in the first round of that 2021 draft. But you got to like what they did on the rest of the offensive line, bringing in Corey Lindsley from the Green Bay Packers. Brian Balaga a couple of years ago. I know he couldn't stay healthy here over the last couple of years, but you know they've they've got four fifths of a pretty solid offensive line here to help Herbert along and really keep him upright and and really be able to take advantage of Austin Eckler and and that running game and Josh Curley and, and use him out of the backfield and keep that down and distance in a manageable situation for the year two um, quarterback. In terms of weapons, yeah, you've got the sexy weapons um, starting with with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Jared Cook, and I mentioned the running back situation. So they're there, but depth-wise, there's not. And and let me tell you, you better hope that Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Jared Cook stay healthy because in behind that, there is not a lot there. On the defensive side of the ball, I know you got Brandon Staley, defensive mind, uh, defensive wizard coming in. So he's going to be able to provide a new look. And really, it comes down to they're a young coaching staff. Hopefully, they can acclimate quite quickly here. And in my mind, and I know you got Bosa there and, and, you know, some great linebackers, Kenneth Murray, uh, coming into year three out of Oklahoma tackling machine. You can keep him clean. He can roam sideline to sideline. But Derwin James has got to come back and play at an all-pro level. He's the difference maker on that side of the football. He's going to be ultra important. So this is, to me, can the offensive weapons stay healthy? Because to me, I I think Herbert's shown in year one that he can get the playmakers the ball. So can they stay healthy? Because once you get down to four, five, six on that wide receiver depth chart, uh, tight end two, three, uh, running back three, you know, Josh Curley out of UCLA, um, there's a considerable drop-off there in, in Los Angeles in terms of playmakers. And, and it's the same on the defensive side of the ball. This is not a deep squad. They're still building this roster to a championship level. So I think if they can stay healthy, they can be very, very competitive and, and be right in the mix for uh, you know that wild-card position. But if this team gets, uh, gets injuries, it, look out. It could be another uh, losing season here. And going to have to take a long, hard look at this roster to see how we can build more depth uh, in Los Angeles. And 
let's go to uh, the cream of the crop, I shall say, in the AFC West. There is absolutely no doubt about it, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, they've got the best coaching staff. They've got the best quarterback. They've got the best offensive line. They've got the best playmakers on defense. Um, there's not much here that's really going to um, derail this Chiefs team. An injury to Travis Kelsey or to Tyreek Hill, yeah, it, it, it could derail them for a week or two. But Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy are good enough offensive minds that they're going to find a way. And to me, they're going to find a way in terms of that offensive line and how deep it is and what they've done in terms of free agent acquisition and draft pick acquisition to help build that offensive line. You, you know, you looked at it, that, that Super Bowl game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they were a shell of themselves in terms of the offensive line and their ability. We know Mahomes was hurt. Defensively, they were a little bit banged up. And, and not taking anything away from the Bucks, And the Bucks were the better team throughout the playoffs and, and on that night in early February. But you look at what what this Andy Reid and this um, Chiefs front office have done. It's absolutely unbelievable. They bring over Orlando Brown shortly after the season's done from the Baltimore Ravens. They grab Joe Tooney, um, all-pro guard, left guard, out of New England. They draft Humphrey Creed, right, with the 33rd, 31st to 32nd overall pick. May 11th, mark it down, folks. I called it Trey Smith as my ultimate offensive line sleeper out around six, starting at right guard come day one here. Um, so I told you on May 11th. And Lucas Niang, um, beside his old running mate there. So they're locking down that right side. Is it young on that the interior and that right side? You're darn right it is. But they've got the veteran linebackers or veteran, uh, veteran backups, Mike Ramners. Nick Allegretti, Austin Blythe coming over from the Rams, competing with Cree um, for that uh, starting center position, right? And they've still got the doctor. He's going to be back in there. He'll be able to work um, on that interior offensive line, left and right. Year eight and nine offensive linemen deep. So when you have that, you can have a couple injuries and not blink. Um, you're going to be able to still use... A little bit of the running game as well and Patrick Mahomes and his feet so I think even with an injury to Hill or Kelsey um, obviously if both go down that could be a different story but if one of them go down I still think um, offensively you know you sprinkle in a little bit more run game and you'll be just fine with uh, with the weapons they got Nicole Hardman's gonna have to step up he's gonna have to take over that Sammy Watkins spot that playmaker from the the wide receiver two position and really take his game to the next level uh, he's gonna have single coverage. You know, you look at him as the as the absolute third option there. He's gonna be single uh, mono mono all season long. Can he use that speed and be able to uh, to make plays and really take that next step? Defensively, listen, they they've got some of the best X factor playmakers in the game. Uh, Legeris Sneed at the end of last year showed what he can do from the slot corner position from all over the football field. We know what the Honey Badger Tyron Matthew can do. Probably one of the the best safeties in the game in terms of playmaking ability and the ability to, to come down into the box and be multiple and show different looks and be able to scheme against quarterbacks and, and really show show something and come out of it and, and He's just absolutely unbelievable and an underrated player in Juan Thornhill as well That in that slot corner, that uh, that uh, big nickel, if you will, in terms of that for Juan, Juan Thornhill and coming in at that safety position, slot corner position, whatever. They're just so multiple and can, can do so many things. And Steve Spagnola um, really puts his, position, uh, his players in a position of strength. We saw that in New York and we've seen it again here in, in Kansas City and he knows how to build the defense up throughout the course of the year where yeah they may start slow but by week 10 they're picking up steam by week 12 and 13 they're hitting their peak and the playoffs they are ready to play football so and then up front you know you've got big chris jones again they're multiple there john reed uh derek nandy those players are be are able to move around at any one of those one three five techniques in that 34 defense and play different positions you can kick Kick uh, Chris Jones inside, and he can play inside at that nose tackle position. He can anchor and play. He can get um, 
forward and penetrate at that position as well. So, so multiple um, in the front seven and in the secondary on the defensive side of the ball. They're the cream of the crop. And they've got some speed at linebacker. Uh, Hitchens and Gay, they're not deep at linebacker, but they've got those. I love um, love the draft pick as well um, that they picked up in Nick Bolton out of Missouri. Um, undersized linebacker, but he built he, he fits that mold of, you know, let the big boys up front keep it clean and let Hitchens and Gay and Nick Bolton clean things up uh, on the back end and be able to make plays sideline to sideline. So... To me, the way I'm shaking down this AFC West, there's no doubt in my mind, nothing stopping the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm taking the Las Vegas Raiders as my second place pick, the Denver Broncos as my third pick, and the Los Angeles Chargers as my last pick in the AFC West. I think I'm going on record right now, folks. This will be the best division in football. I think the uh, the NFC West is going to take a step back, and I see this as the best division in football. When you look at these rosters, top to bottom in the AFC West, there's a there's some real good football teams in here, and this is going to be a real competitive division. I think everybody's gotten better in the off season comparatively to where they were last year. A couple teams were really hit hard with injuries: Denver and the Chargers. Um, I think if they stay a little more healthy, they'll be more competitive. And uh, I love the steps the Raiders have taken to ensure that offensive line, provide more weapons for Carr. And we know what Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and those Chiefs can do in the AFC West. Before we head off the break and get into some golf talk, let's talk NFC West, folks. And you heard me say it. I think it's no longer going to be the best division in football. I think with the championship run of the Seattle Seahawks that they've had in their four to six window four to six year window that ended in my mind about a year or two ago and the Arizona Cardinals always pushing to try to get over the hump the playoff hump to win a playoff game get into the playoff I think they've compromised not only their draft picks and their draft capital but the veteran acquisition via free agency I think it's going to catch up with with these two franchises and we'll we'll start with uh with the Cardinals first when when you start to look at it. This is an old team, folks. Um and it may you you may laugh and and think, well, let's start with a kicker and Andy Prater at uh Matt Prater at 37 years old and the punter Andy Lee at 39 years old. And you got JJ Watt and Jordan Phillips and Chandler, Chandler Jones here and today Malcolm Butler's uh considering retirement for some personal issues. You know, a lot of miles on uh, on Hopkins, my friends. Uh, top quality receiver, but there is a lot of miles on DeAndre Hopkins. Then you got AJ Green, Christian Kirk. The, uh, they've got a real old offensive line in DJ Humphreys and Justin Pugh and Rodney Hudson and Kelvin Beecham. Uh, they better hope that that offensive line stays healthy because there's not much depth behind it. I know you've got that 300 monster we just mentioned, and then you throw in the likes of a real mismatch in Max Williams. But once again, it comes down to Kyler Murray and the step. Very very similar to, to Derek Carr and and those Las Vegas Raiders. I think the Arizona Cardinals live and die with uh, with Kyler Murray. But I, I just think they're too, too veteran. And I know they're young in spots, and you know you got Rondell Moore with that with that draft pick and and don't be surprised if Christian Kirk is a surprise cut here and you know you've got Isaiah Simmons and Tavon Collins um, that you've drafted to make the team a little bit younger but in in its entirety when you look at the core that 8 to 10 to 12 players that are going to lead your squad it's old it is old it is a veteran team Um, when you look at positionally the leaders they're not young leaders where it's you know, uh, a 24, 25 year old that's really have has taken on in year two, year three, and and really escalated and and starting to lead their position group and lead that room. It's veterans, um, and th- these veterans are going to have to play, and they're going to have to play a lot of snaps in Arizona. I just don't see this standing up. They're coming off of an eight and eight season, missing the playoffs, and I think they're going to miss the playoffs again. I think they're going to be eight and nine. Uh, nine and eight. I just don't think that's going to be good enough. I don't think they've made enough adjustments. JJ uh, Watt's still an elite pass rusher, but can he play down in and down out? That's still yet to be seen. Malcolm Butler, if he does indeed retire here tonight or tomorrow or in the foreseeable future, 
that forces Darquez Denard or Dale Worley onto the football field at some point in time for you. And that's going to be a complete mismatch when you look at some of the weapons um, across the board at a wide receiver or tight end position in this division. So not enough there for me for the Cardinals. Moving on to the Seahawks. And you know what? I had them taking a step back last year. And I underestimated Russell Wilson. He came out of the gates flying. Was uh, my vote for MVP halfway through the 2020 season. And, um, you know, filtered off at the end of the year. But I think you saw what happened to the Seattle Seahawks. And, and it comes down to if you can stop that passing game, that offensive line, very similar to the Cardinals, is is just not good enough. Um, you know, Dwayne Eskridge at a Western Michigan here um, is going to have an opportunity at that slot uh, wide receiver spot or the wide receiver three or whatever you want to call it, um, the Z spot. To, to make some plays. We talked about that in, in our draft uh, review for, for Seattle. He's going to have an opportunity to come in here and, and be that third option behind DK and behind Tyler Lockett. You've still got Chris Carson and Rashad Penny in the backfield, but I've got serious questions on the offensive line. Defensively, um, I'm not too sure how Ken Norton kept his job. That was uh, a historically bad defense, and it, it they haven't done much. They've gotten a year older, and they haven't, you know, when you only have two or three draft picks and not a lot of cap room, there it's it's this lies on the shoulders of Russell Wilson once again, and it's going to be how good are you this year, Russ, and can you do it for 17 games? Um, it the season's one week longer, and to me, what we've seen over the last two years is that um, for five and six and seven weeks, and then you get some film, and Russ gets a little banged up it's hard for him to do it by himself for, for the entire season. And I just don't see that happening. I think they take a step back. I see, I got them around 10 and seven, nine and eight, um, and be in third place in this division. I'm, I'm going Cardinals, Seahawks, Niners, Rams. Um, let's move over to those Niners before we round out our, uh, our NFC West here and send you off to break. Listen, um, they open up with two cross country road games, um, across across the country with, I believe, the Giants and the Eagles, maybe. Um, and then they've got a, a good little stretch there with the uh, with the Packers, the Hawks, and the, the Cardinals. So an interesting start for these 49ers. But, listen, they're returning four-fifths of their starting Super Bowl offensive line from three years ago. All of these guys are right in their prime of their career now. Um, they were good enough to make it to the Super Bowl then. They're not at that point where they're starting to regress in terms of age, in terms of physical ability, if they can stay healthy, they've still got a dominant offensive line and defensive line for that matter, but dominant offensive line up front. They got Raheem Mostert, but I told you back on May 11th as well, this kid, third round pick, 88th overall, they went double Trey. Not only did they go Trey Lance, they also went Trey Sermon, uh, running back out of Ohio State. I believe in terms of scheme fit, he is absolutely tailor-made for Kyle Shanahan in this offense. This zone blocking scheme, this one cut, get up and down the field. He reminds me of Terrell Davis. His his abilities and it didn't they didn't measure off the charts in terms of his physical abilities, um, in terms of the combine, but neither did Terrell Davis's. But when you understand the scheme and if he can really start to understand it and really kind of hit those holes and he's a north-south runner and I think that just fits just right for Kyle Shanahan. I'm telling you guys right now, he's my sleeper for offensive rookie of the year. Trey Thurman, running back, third round pick, 88th overall out Ohio State. They're going to run the ball and they're going to get back to what they do best. They were absolutely pillaged and savage with injuries last year. You've still got Fred Warner, Eric Armstead, uh, Nick Bosa, Javon uh, Laidlaw up front in terms of, uh, or sorry, Kinlaw up front uh, in that front seven. Fred Warner is one of the most underrated linebackers in the NFL in my mind. The secondary is where I got some serious questions. Emmanuel Mosley, uh, Jakorski Tart, Jimmy Ward, uh, veteran Jason Verrett, and when if he's not healthy week one, you're you got Kwan Williams. I, I got some I got some question marks there. 
they've got to be able to get to the passer. We we've seen that in in San Francisco. We saw that last year, even um, with uh, with the old defensive coordinator Robert Sala, and his scheme. And I know D'Amico Ryan's is going to have his own scheme, and and we're still not sure how that's going to look or how that's going to fit. But um, what I do know is he's going to expect the big boys up front to be able to get to the passer and allow um, the linebackers underneath to make plays and clean everything up underneath. And that secondary just has to hold, bend, but don't break and make the big play when they need to. But got some question marks back there. Can they limit the big plays? But I see the 49ers. Um, the health cannot get any worse. They they were historically um, hurt last year. So I think the 49ers are going to be right back in the mix. I think you're going to see an 11-6, 12-5 type of season. But I think the class of the NFC West and with the addition of Matthew Stafford and the schedule, the cupcake schedule that they have, you know, five of the first eight weeks are against non-playoff teams. And you're looking at the likes of the Bears, who's trotting out Andy Dalton, which I don't understand, the Cardinals, the Giants, the Lions, and the Texans. You throw, uh, you know, a Minnesota game that may or may, not, may or may not mean anything on Boxing Day. Like this is a, when you break this schedule down, folks, this is a pretty easy schedule here for the Los Angeles Rams. And when you look at the options amongst Cooper, Cooper Cup and Bob Woods and Van Jefferson, who takes over for Josh Reynolds, uh, who heads over to the Titans, you know, you get a dynamic return man, scat man, um, bug type of player in Tutu Atwell and Deshaun Jackson. Don't let Cooper Cup return kicks or punts, please. Just let him run routes and get open. Let him go get a slushy because he's at the 7-Eleven all day long. He's fucking wide open every single play. The guy's a tactician in terms of running football routes. You know, um at the at the halfback position, you you know, you've you've lost some some players over the years um in Gurley and Malcolm Brown and some of these guys, but up up starts uh, you know, Daryl Henderson, you know, the the loss of Cam Akers really does hurt them on the long-term IR. Not going to be back, but folks, look out for Jake Funk. Didn't get a lot of snaps in college at running back, but I'm hearing good things out of camp and out of the draft. Kid out of Maryland, he's very raw, but he runs hard. He's physical. He's strong. I like it. Just like San Francisco, they're returning four-fifths of their starting offensive line. So I like what the Rams have, and I think for once, Matthew Stafford is going to have a coach who's committed to the running game. He's not going to have to come in and do it all. It's now about distribution. Um, we've seen what Stafford can do when he has some weapons. He's he's electric at that spot. So he's going to be able to get Cup and Woods and Jefferson and Atwell and Deshaun and and you know um, Tyler Higby the football and let them go make the plays. I think that offensive line. Um, it's going to be able to keep them upright and healthy. I like what they're doing on that side of the ball. We've seen the schedule. Defensively, they've lost some pieces. We know that. Troy Hill, John Don, John Johnson to Cleveland. To me, those are two big losses. You know, Troy Hill had two defensive touchdowns last year. That's hard to replace. Um, and one the season before. That's three over the last two years. So that's a that's a, a big loss. We, we know some of the hard hits and the way John Johnson patrolled the middle of that football field and you know in those cover one robber type of plays. But you've still got some playmakers, Jalen Ramsey, Darius Williams, Jordan Fuller, uh, the big boys up front. What I love is that when you've got the defensive MVP and, and probably the best defensive football player in our era that we're looking at right now in Aaron Donald, just an absolute robot. I don't think he's human. Ashawn Robinson coming over from Detroit, Sebastian Joseph Day, Leonard Floyd, all showed that they can beat one-on-one matchups, and that's what they're going to get because Aaron Donald's going to just chew up and eat up double teams and triple teams. That's right. He is a good enough football player that he sees triple teams, um, and that's no joke. So that leaves everybody else one-on-one with their matchup. I think they're going to be able to uh, to beat their matchup routinely. And we saw that with Leonard Floyd last year with the amount of sacks. I think he had 15 or 16 and a half sacks by the time that season was out. So um, look out on that defensive side. They'll be able to hold enough. Offense is going to be able to move the ball. I like the Rams at a 12 and 12 and 5 type of season, 11 and 6 right at the top of that. Once again, that NFC West taking a step down. 
not the best division in football any, anymore is my prediction. It's my hot take. You heard it here first. And that, folks, is the AFC West and the NFC West. Like I said last week, we're going to try to get into our last couple divisions, that uh, the AFC North and the NFC South, but we're going to have to run through a rapid fire. We got fantasy football breakdown. We got some uh, some gambling tips and some point spread tips for week one as we move closer next week. So it'll be, be a busy week next week in football. We'll catch you on the flip side, talking about the world of golf, and I hope you enjoy a little break on Triple G. Real life passion for real life sports. All right, folks, welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed a little segment there from Triple G. But let's start off. We got a couple spots, but how could we not? I was trying hard over the last few weeks, folks, since we've been back after summer break to find your winner, and I found you one. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, 25 to 1. Hope you listen. Patrick Cantley, absolutely unbelievable. Patty Ice now they call him. We talked about the U.S. Men's Ryder Cup team last year. He moves up five positions from 11 to number six. That was what we were looking for. Was Cantley going to be able to make that jump? Hey, he gets the victory, and he is your last automatic qualifier. So before we uh, we finally finalize the BMW there, let's talk about that and put a bow on that U.S. Ryder Cup team. We now know Morikawa, DJ, Bryson, Kepka. JT and Cantley are your automatic qualifiers. I'm standing by my position, folks. 7 through 11 here. Finau, Xander, Spieth, English, and Reed. When you start to look at it, Finau's not going anywhere. He's starting this week at minus 8. Um, Captain Stricker's got to pick his squad after this week. Then you got Xander at minus 2. He loves East Lake Golf Club. He was actually the low gross last year um, in terms of the most under par for the week. Jordan Spieth starting at minus four. Harris English starting at minus four. So these guys are going to be there at the end of the week. They're not going to be. They're not going to lose a whole lot of ground. They'll probably find a few of them will find themselves inside that top ten. I think your key is Patrick Reed. If somebody can um, jump up, i.e., a Daniel Berger, a Scotty Scheffler, um, Jason Kokrak, who's played a, a solid uh, round again or solid tournament again last week at the BMW or Sam Burns starting at minus four at 16 on this Ryder Cup standing spot um, then Reed starts to become into question right now I still got him picked if he's healthy he's got to be there in my mind um, but Stricker's now got to start to look at not only am, am I taking the best squad but who am I taking to be a leader and and to me, that's the most important thing now that, that he's looking at here. When you start to break this down, Cullen Morcow is not a natural leader. Okay, he's, he's, he's quiet to himself type of guy. Dustin Johnson, not a natural leader. Bryson DeChambeau, um, feuding with Brooks Kepka, whether you believe it or not, gets the run in with Patrick Cantley at, um, at um, the BMW. Brooks Kepka, um, love him or hate him, there's a lot of guys that hate him, so not a natural leader. Okay, Justin Thomas, been around enough, he's a guy you would look at. Finau, Xander, Spieth, English, Reed. Where's your leadership on this roster? And, and I know you're going to say, okay, it's going to come from um, come from the captains in terms of you know Freddie and Stricker and Sluman and, and Tiger if he's going to be around or on the premises at the time. But this is where your picks may come in and, and don't don't go astray here. And and when and I had this broken down and I started to think about this as I'm speaking here now. And down there at twenty is a guy that didn't qualify for the, the tour championship, nor did Kevin Kisner, the only two or three and Webby Simpson, sorry, the only three in the top twenty here that didn't qualify for it. Uh Webb Simpson Kevin Kisner and Phil Mickelson, but there's a guy that you now may think about 
in terms of some leadership from a player's perspective because you know you take a quiet Harris English and a Jordan Spieth and a Xander and a Finau you know Finau can play with anybody and JT can play with anybody but there's a lot of dynamic and a lot of personality on that U.S. Ryder Cup squad so guys like like Webb Simpson and and Philly Mick might just hold a little bit more weight there if Captain Stricker's looking for to to kind of settle the ship because it's pretty rocky right now when you start to break this down in terms of natural leaders and and just flat out dynamic and culture within that room and within your pairings um, to find good pairings you know Patrick Reed not the most well liked guy um, you, you know you you don't want to put him with Jordan Spieth they that's a tough pairing we talked about some of the other guys so. Um, some interesting decisions here and an interesting dynamic to see how this plays out in terms of um, will a Berger or a Scheffler or a Burns come up and make a run, try to move up two or three spots here with a victory, get themselves into a spot where they've earned almost earned a spot or earned one of those picks, and then uh, see where it goes from there. Flipping over now, before we get into uh, the FedEx Cup and a couple other things here in terms of golf, let's flip over to the European squad because we know we were going to talk about them this week. Different um, grading system. They take the top four from the European uh, points standings list, the top five from the world's points standings list because so many of their, their players play worldwide in terms of the PGA Tour and the WGC events. And a lot of their players play um, locally, or not locally, but um in the European tour um, standings and on the European tour more. So when you look at their nine players that are in the automatic qualifying position, you've got Johnny Rahm, Tommy Fleetwood, Tyrrell Hatton, Rory McIlroy, Victor Hovland, Paul Casey, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Lee Westwood, and Shane Lowry. That's five Englishmen, two Irishmen, a Finn, and a Spaniard. Um, so a lot of them are coming from one island. That dynamic right there, you compare anybody with anybody because you're, you're outliers in terms of the countries and the, those relationships. Um, you've got Victor Hovland who plays with all of these guys on a regular basis and you've got uh, John Rahm who plays with all of these guys on a regular basis. Shane Lowry, Rory McIlroy are the Irishmen. And then, uh, to me, the next best country in the world in terms of golf uh, to the U.S. is is England. And it's uh, hands down not even close. You could uh, probably have U.S. versus England. And it would be a pretty com- competitive competition, 12, uh, 12 versus 12, folks. And when we start to look at some of these picks here, and, and to me, there's only about four or five guys that are, that are available for these three picks in terms of the U.S. Ryder um, Cup position. It ends up the BMW Championship at Wentworth on September 12th when uh, when Potty Harrington will make his picks. But Bernd Wiesberger, um, fifth on the uh, the European side and um, tenth on the world side. He's got to be one of your picks. Victor Perez, who we've seen make his debut at the Ryder Cup in the, over the last few years from France, eighth on that, uh, that European side, eleventh on the world side. You look at Robbie McIntyre, uh, ninth on the European side, 13th on the worldwide side. Is he another pick? And then your go-tos, Ian Poulter, 21st on the, the European side, 14th on the world side. Sergio Garcia, 18th on the European side, 12th on the on the world side. And peaking now, um, I think Poulter's a lock for for this. I, I just don't see how you could not have Ian Poulter there considering he's right in the mix in terms of a of a captain's pick and what he's done. And then your your you know Weisberger to me has to have earned a spot. And then you're left with Victor Perez and Sergio Garcia. And that's a tough, tough decision to make. You love Garcia because you know you've got the built in pairing with Rom and and uh, some of the other guys and Casey and Rory that he's played with and Tommy Fleetwood, that Garcia Fleetwood pairing. We've seen how much damage that they've done over uh, the last couple years. So he just fits naturally. And it, it's to me, it's Garcia, Poulter, and Weisberger. And that puts you at six Englishmen, two Irishmen, two Spaniards, a Finn, and um, I believe uh, Dutch from, uh, from Bert Weisberger there. But um, 
I just like the dynamic on that European side. We always tend to do so, but um, especially with the unrest on this American side, um, you gotta love that European side. I think they're the favorites going into this, even though they're on the road at Whistling Straits. Um, but we are T minus three weeks away from that Ryder Cup, my favorite golf event of the year. Let's talk about the BMW now, and we'll get over to East Lake for the Tour Championship and our picks to end off this episode. But I found you the winner, like I said. But boy, once again, the year of the playoff between 2020, the end of 2020, and 2021. That was, I believe, the 14th playoff. We've seen a six hole playoff. Absolutely phenomenal golf tournament. Me personally, do I like the minus 27? No, I don't. But boy, does it make it exciting. They absolutely tore the place apart. 485 or 490 under par as a field. There wasn't a single guy over par. So absolutely um, just amazing. But Patrick Cantley put on a putting performance, folks, like we have never seen before. Uh, when you look at even from 41 for 41 from inside 5 feet, from 10 to 20 feet, folks, get this, the average tour pro on the PGA Tour from 10 to 20 feet, his their make percentage is 25.69%. Patrick Reed went 14 for 23 from 10 to 20 feet this week at 61.8%, almost two and a half times the tour average. We saw it in the playoff. It's the only reason why that playoff went six holes. It's the only reason why it even got to a playoff. Um, was that 41 footer or tw- sorry that 24 footer that he rolled in to get there? So, um, congrats to Patrick Cantley. He's got the leading edge uh, for the FedEx Cup. He's in on the Ryder Cup. So um, Patrick Cantley really taking those next steps in his professional career. Let's get over to East Lake Golf Club, designed and originated in 1904. Donald Ross, and renovated by Reese Jones in uh, 1995 and 2008 designed and and pretty much finished by uh, Donald Ross in 1913. It's a par 70. They're going to have it at 72, 7,300 yards, five par fours, over 450 yards, 76.2 on the rating, 144 on the slope, folks. So it is a tough golf course, but these boys know how to play it. We're going to flip over to Dutch's picks here. Uh, Dutch is taking the favorite at 4-1, to one, starting the tournament at minus 10. He win, won the BMW. T11th at the Northern, uh, Northern Trust. T23 at the St. Jude. Nobody hotter in the month of August than Patrick Cantley. He's taking Cantley. I like this pick. Uh, starting the week out at 16th on the list. Minus 3. He won here in 2020. T6 at the BMW. So he's starting to get his game back at 20-1. to 1. Why not take a shot? Um, Dustin Johnson, DJ. And his off-the-board pick, um, Dutch and I did it. Uh, we should tell you, we did a bit different this week. I, we picked one guy from 1st uh, till 10th, one guy from 11th till 20, and one guy from 21 to 30. So obviously Dutch from 1 to 10 takes Cantley, 11-20 um, takes DJ, and 21 to uh, 30, he takes the 22nd overall rated player. And that is Hideki Matsuyama at 100-1, to starting to tournament out at minus 1. He's been steady Eddie all year. T43 at the Northern, T46 at the BM Dubs. So steady Eddie for Hideki. Not a bad pick. I like Dutch's first two picks. Not really sold uh, on Hideki. Just don't feel he's playing for a whole lot here at Eastlake. But he plays the golf course very well, so can't argue that. We will start out with my big gun of the week and uh, starting off at 10th overall. I talked about him when we talked about that American Ryder Cup. He jumped up a position. To me, he's got the opportunity now to move up two or three spots here with Webb Simpson not playing and really put himself into that conversation with that for that last spot uh, for pick on the Ryder Cup. 35 to 1, 8th at the BMW, 21st at the Northern, T2 at the uh, the WGC FedEx at St. Jude, and that is Callaway's own Sam Burns. I'm taking Sam Burns, playing for a lot this week. Um, I like Burnsy. My big gun of the week, starting out at minus 2, he's in the 15th spot, one ahead of DJ, 4th uh, at the BMW. He won this event in 2019 and 2016 at East Lake, East Lake tied for 43rd uh, at the Northern Trust, 
We know how much the Europeans gear up for this Ryder Cup. These boys are starting to play a little bit more. So uh, I'm taking Rory McIlroy. Had a good finish last week. I think he continues to build on that form. Yes, he's eight back. But um, you know what? At uh, 25 to 1, I'll take Rory McIlroy. And my long shot, starting the week out at 28th. We talked about him. They're gearing up for the Ryder Cup spot. He, with another good tournament to me, locks up one of these picks for Potty Harrington. Starting the week at even, 140th to 1. He's twice runner-up at this event in 2008 and 2011. T6 at the BMW with a phenomenal up and down to get into the event. And that is Sergio Garcia. I will take Sergio as my last pick. And that will round out our picks Couple shout-outs to uh, the Lady Solheim Cup at Inverness in Toledo, Ohio. So that's another event to watch. And the Corn Ferry Tour Championship. Adam uh, Svensson, Canadian, I believe is in fifth place leading into uh, on the uh, on the points list to get his card for 2022 on the PGA Tour. And Taylor Pendrith. So a couple things also um, to flip over to when you're not watching that Tour Championship at, uh, at Eastlake Golf Club this weekend. Other than that, folks, big week next week coming up in terms of uh, NFL football week one. We will have the podcast released early on Tuesday again. Um, next week, we'll be talking golf and wrapping and putting a bow tie on the 2020-2021 season and taking a look at the finalization of that U.S. Men's Ryder Cup team. We'll review the Solheim Cup team and see how our Canadians did on the Corn Ferry Tour. Thanks for tuning in to Triple G. Make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ginger and Dutch One. Uh, so sorry, at Triple G, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Always helps out. Appreciate it. I'm your host Stephen Kerr, aka the Ginger. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.